If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter 1. We're going to be reading 2 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9 this morning. We've been for 10 weeks, 10 weeks in a sermon series about gospel transformation. How do we change? How does the gospel change us? And we've been unpacking really just a few verses that we've been reading here, kind of taking a, a phrase each week at a time. And, and today we're, we're wrapping up this series, but we're by no means wrapping up the discussion of what this series is about. How does the gospel change us? Because that's everything. Um, the gospel and, and, and the power of the gospel at work in our lives to make us more like Christ, to help us to understand who we are in Him, is a conversation that we never ever, ever, ever graduate from. So if, if, if you're looking for a church that um, will, will treat the gospel as basic entry-level stuff, but then we'll move on to other more substantial things, this isn't the place. <laughs> That's everything for us. Um, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the core of, of everything that matters for us, and we'll keep coming back to that over and over. So, 2 Peter 1, verses 3 through 8, here's, here's Peter talking to young Christians about this call that they have to engage with the Lord in the way that he has blessed them and spoken promises over their life and given them spiritual gifts. And he's calling them now, now engage with these things, lean into these things, participate with the Lord in the things that he's already given you. And uh, we're, we're gonna, I'm going to read the passage and then we're going to just dig into it. This is Second uh, Peter 1, 3 through 9. God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, and by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind." having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for these calls that you give us throughout your word to remember what it means that we belong to you. Uh, Father, I pray that you would uh, capture our imaginations and our hearts this morning as we, as we interact with you uh, in this word together and as we come to this table. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so I have a question that I want to interact with you on, so I need you to answer, okay, if you want to. It's a vulnerable question, though. You'll kind of be uh, maybe embarrassed if you answer it. I'm just saying. But you, you might win, bragging rights of having the most embarrassing story. And the question is this, um, what is the, the most, the, 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 the most uh, significant thing you've ever forgotten? You forgot your wife's birthday once. Yeah. Are you qualifying that a little bit? <laughs> Anybody else? Yeah. You forgot to put the brakes on a pickup truck before you took it on a test drive. Wow. How'd that go? All right. All right. 
Anybody else? Yeah. Forgot our marriage license for the wedding. Really? You f- they forgot their marriage license for the wedding. So are you guys legal? Yes, we got legally married the next day. You got <laughs> That's awesome. So many questions. All right. Um, who else? Anybody? Did it go away? Oh, man. Man, at the night, that's awesome. At the 9 a.m. service, there was a uh, woman who, who uh, left her son in Mexico. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's forgetting something. Um, I have, too. I've forgotten some things. Haven't I, Lisa? Yeah. But uh, why do we do this? Why do we forget things that are important? Um, I mean, it's one thing. It's one thing to forget to put your car in park. It's another thing to forget your son in Mexico, right? <laughs> but, I mean, we do things like this, right? We have it in us to, uh, to just have major, like an anniversary, a birthday, major event come and go, and we realize, I didn't even, I did, it didn't even occur to me that this was coming and, and, that, it, and that it went, and yet it was so such an important thing. Why? I wonder, do any of you have thoughts on that? Why, why do we forget things that are, that we would even say, I forget it and I still honestly believe it's important. What is, what is that about? Why do you think we forget? What's that? We're distracted and busy. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else thoughts on that? I think that's, I, I, I agree. I, I think we, we just are, part of my concern for Midtown 12 South, a big concern that I have for us, is we're tired. <laughs> this is a room full of tired, busy, distracted people. And there are a lot of awesome things that happen in our lives all the time that come and go. And sometimes for some of us, the best we can do is try to squeeze in a couple hours to just acknowledge it. That, you know, I got married. You know, or there's time to ignore, you, you were born, child, child of mine, great, next thing, you know. But there's, there's something in us where, where there, there are these glorious truths that are ours, and they couldn't be further away from, from our day-to-day existence, our day-to-day lives. And, and Peter is talking about that when he's talking about what it means to to engage with the Lord in the things that he's given. It's this call, participate in this life that God has called you to. Don't just, don't just receive it with kind of a thanks for that, but I'm busy, I'm doing my own thing. And we come to the Lord's table today too, and even this, you know, Jesus said when he called his disciples to this table, he said, do this and remember, remember. It's one of the beauties of the Lord's table is it's so simple. It's so simple, and yet it's this gift that the Lord has given those of us who are so prone to forget, to say, hey, I'm I'm calling you to periodically throughout your life to stop and to come to something that is is probably in the world's eyes foolish-looking, little pieces of bread and little cups of juice or, or wine or, or whatever. And, and, and when, you, when you do this, when you come to this little table, remember that I gave up my body and I shed my blood so that you could be reconciled to God. 
That is huge. But we forget. And Jesus in his mercy says, so remember, remember. And Peter here in this verse, when he's talking about, you know, engaging with the Lord in the gifts that he's given, he says, when you don't, when you, when you don't engage with the Lord, when you don't participate with him in the life that he's given you, what happens is your life becomes ineffective and unfruitful, not just in doing things, but he says it becomes ineffective and unfruitful in knowing him. You're not engaging and participating. And then he goes on to say that when you lack these things, when you're not engaging and participating with the Lord, you become so nearsighted that you're blind, that you're just blind and you've forgotten. You've forgotten that you've been forgiven of your sins. Today, I was thinking about where to go with this. And, you know, I know a lot of your stories, and a lot of your stories I don't know at all. But one of the things that I see as a pretty common thing that we have as a church is that a lot of us could stand to be encouraged from Scripture about what it means to be forgiven of our sins, that a lot of us are just tired, you know? And right now, this may be you, and you may be so tired and so discouraged that you even think I'm probably talking to somebody else about this. So let me just give you some specific places where people are tired and see if you're in this group. We have a worship team here, eight people up here leading us in worship this morning. Awesome job, by the way, today. You guys are doing such an amazing, oh, it's beautiful. But you guys serve all the time and you get up early and, you, and, you, and you're here for both services and, and it's, it's just, it's this great gift that you give. But you can get tired doing this. You can get tired with other things going on. You can come with that burden of, of feeling like I'm supposed to be leading people in worship and instead I just feel like I'm playing music. And you get discouraged from that or tired in your heart. There's staff people at ministries, at Midtown, other places where you just, it's work. It's work to do what you believe God has called you to do, but you're, but you're tired. You're a small group leader. And you carry the burdens of the, people's, the people in your groups and you, and you love them and you want good things for them. And sometimes you, you feel like the Lord blesses you and you're effective and other times you feel like you, you, you can't seem to ever satisfy what somebody else needs. Maybe you're visiting here for the first time, you know? Whenever anybody visits a church, there's usually a story behind that. Maybe it's just that you're in town visiting, but maybe it's because you're in the process of, of leaving someplace, which is always sad. It's a sad thing to leave a church. Or maybe you're relocating to a new city and you're at a church and you're looking at it and you're saying, can I see myself here as a part of this community? And there's so much going on besides just visiting a church and seeing what it looks like. And you're tired. We have many, many young moms in here. A lot of new babies this year, lots of new babies this year. And you're tired. And if you're a young mom, you're more tired than you know. And so as not to be offended by me saying that, you're also more tired than I know. <laughs> but you're tired. You're tired. Because it's constant. It's 24-7, and you're going, and you're going, and you're going. And young dads, same for you. And you're kind of in a weird spot because you know you can't complain about it, right? You can't say, I'm tired. I don't get any sleep. 
you know, but, but it's real. You're carrying, you're carrying the burdens of your family and the other things that are going on in your life, and you're, and, you're, and you're working on this. Some of you, you're in this, you feel like you're in a perfect storm because you've got, you've got a new kid, or you're trying to have a kid, or, or there's a kid on the way, and you're also a student, and you're trying to get school wrapped up, and you're also not making ends meet, and you're struggling to pay the bills and all that stuff, and it's all just coming together, and you just feel like every day, every day, it's just, it just doesn't ever let up, and I'm, I'm exhausted. Anybody relating to this? You feel this way? You feel tired? You feel like you're just worn out? Some of you are, you know, just kind of, you succeed at everything, <laughs> You know, every door handle that you try magically opens for you and you just walk right in and, and everything kind of goes well. And it won't always be that way, but even that can be tiring, just this feeling of this pressure to succeed on the first try at, at, at everything. I worry about this for us. Not in a, I fear that we're going to uh, melt away and dissolve into just this ineffective mass of, of people who don't count for anything. But, but I worry because, because what Peter's saying is, listen, when you are so bone tired, when your soul is so weary, when you're struggling and you, and, and, and you, just, you just don't know how to connect spiritually anymore, you're in this place where the Lord is saying, remember what's true. Remember the gospel. Remember what's true. And our minds are in so many different places. Some of us here, we would say, I know myself to be a spiritually alive person. I know myself to be a person who has a real relationship with the Lord. I have a real relationship with Jesus. I know what it is to read his word and to pray, but for the life of me, for the life of me, I can't seem to find any connection right now with God in my life at all. I, I, I try to pray, and it just feels like I'm talking to a wall, and I, don't, I know that's not me. I know that's not who I really am, and yet that's where I, that's where I really am. And then we're just, Lord, help us. Help us to see what it means that the gospel is true in our lives. We've been digging into this talking about, okay, what does it mean then to engage with virtue, you know, obedience, saying, Lord, I want to do what it is that you're calling me to do, even when I may not understand why you're calling me to do it. But I also want to understand why you call me to the things you call me to. I want to understand. I want to know your word, knowledge. I want to add knowledge to my obedience. And then, Lord, give me self-control. Hold me close to you. Don't let me run off the rails. Don't, I'm so prone to wander. Keep me. And then we say, Lord, to my self-control, Give me perseverance that I would be able to stand in the face of hardship and to that godliness and to godliness, brotherly affection and to brotherly affection, love. And we've been digging and digging and digging and digging. And some of us are saying, yeah, we're digging, but I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired. And today I want to ask you to dig a little deeper. One more, one more time in this passage of Scripture. Here's what Peter says. He says, if these qualities, this Virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. If these qualities are yours and they're increasing, it keeps you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So put positively, if these things are yours, they help you know him. They reveal to you who he is. And then he says this, whoever lacks these things is so nearsighted that he's blind. And not just generally spiritually blind, but specifically he says this, having forgotten that he was cleansed of his former sins. Your sins have been forgiven. 
oh, that we would remember that our sins have been forgiven if our faith is in Christ. It's what it means if you're a Christian, that if your faith is in Christ, it means that you have been cleansed of your sins, that your sins have been forgiven. What Peter is saying here is he's saying that participating with God by using the gifts that he's given isn't so that we can prove to him that my faith is real. I'm not using these things so that God will look at me and say, all right, his faith looks real. He's saying, no, these are given to you so that you would know, you would know that your faith is real, so that you would know that he is with you, that he's present. Peter's telling us this is where life is found. Life is found in participating with these things that the Lord has given you, these blessings, and yet we're so tired and we're striving and we're striving. And when these things are not increasing, our lives are becoming ineffective and unfruitful. And then his lament here is when these qualities aren't present, you're so nearsighted, it's like you can't see the most glorious truth that the gospel has to offer you. And that is that your sins have been forgiven. That your relationship with God, the one that you were made for, has been restored. And so Peter's writing. You know, we've talked through this series that he's writing as a man who's about to die, and he knows he's about to die. He's in prison. He knows that what comes next and what comes soon is that he's going to be martyred. And so he's writing these words with great urgency to young Christians, contending for them, contending for them. And I can see him just sort of banging his hand on the table as he writes, you've been forgiven. You've been forgiven. You're free to live in the light of grace. You're free to engage God with the gifts that he has given you because the gospel is true. You don't have anything to prove to him. You don't have anything to fear. You don't have anything to hide. And so Peter is saying, live under this conviction that your sins have been forgiven. And for those of us who are tired, for those of us who are weary, for those of us who feel like it's not going the way that I want it to, and the sorrow in me is so deep. And I don't show my sorrow, but it's so deep. If that's you, And you just feel stuck. I feel like where the Lord is taking us today as we come to this table is to a place where I want to challenge you. Here's where I want you to dig deep. I want to challenge you to receive words of encouragement from me. That's where we're going to close the service. As I want to close this this before we come to the Lord's table, is I want to give you five things that are true. If your sins have been forgiven, here's why it matters. Five things. And if you're tired, if you're distracted, if you're a million miles away, what I'm asking from you right now is just listen. Listen. Hear the encouragement of the Lord and what it means for your sins to be forgiven. Can you do that with me? Five things that are true. When we come to this table and Jesus says, remember, do this in remembrance of me, here's five things that we remember when we come to this table that are true because our sins have been forgiven in Christ. Here they are. The first, you have peace with God. If your sins are forgiven, you have peace with God. Ephesians 2 says this, Christ himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man out of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. If you are resting in the finished work of Christ to restore you to God, then the peace that you have with God is more real than the chair you're sitting in. The peace that you have with God right now, this is what it means to be forgiven. 
Be encouraged by that. You have peace with God. The second is that you have a new identity. You have a new identity. Galatians 4, because you are sons, Paul writes, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So not only do you have peace with God, but you have intimate peace with God. You're not a stranger to him. He knows you as a father knows his own beloved child. You're a son, an heir. This is what it means to be forgiven. Third, God works all things together for your good. All things. Romans 8. He who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. That means even right now. Right now, God is working all things together for your good. And not just your immediate good, but your eternal good. God's working all things together for your good right now. That's what it means to be forgiven. Fourth, you have a place to go with your anxiety. You have a place to go with your fears and your worries and your cares. Peter writes these words, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Jesus says it like this. This is Jesus talking. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What Jesus is telling us is you don't, you don't walk alone. You have a Savior who carries far more than you imagine that he does. Even now, he does. This is what it means to be forgiven. And then fifth, this is not finally, this is just the end of my list. There's a lot more. But you've never been more loved than you are right now. You've never been more loved than you are right now. You may feel just so alone, so isolated, so unlovable. And yet, if your sins are forgiven, this is what Peter is saying, you need to see this. Don't be so nearsighted that you're blind, that you don't see this. You've never been more loved than you are right now. Romans 8, at the end of the chapter, says this, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the way that He loves you right now runs so deep that you've never been, nor will you ever be close, ever close to losing Him. He holds you by His love and nothing can shake that. That's what it means to be forgiven. Be encouraged by these things. These are true. These are true. If you don't feel them, if you don't sense them, if you feel like my faith is in Jesus, but I feel like those things are a million miles away from me, it's not because they are. It's not because they're untrue. It's because you're nearsighted. And Peter is saying, remember, you've been forgiven of your sins. 
Remember what that means. Remember who that says that you are, this identity that you now you know have because your sins have been forgiven. We come to this table today, and it is this proclamation of the gospel to our senses, you know, to our taste and our, and our touch and our smell. And we, and we get up and we come to this place. And the Lord says, when you come, remember, come feed on the gospel. Come be nourished by the promises of Christ. Don't forget. Don't forget that you've been forgiven. So come to this table. He's your host. He's the host of this table. And enjoy this meal. Be nourished by the truth of the gospel today. If you are tired, if you are tired, know this. He knows you're tired. He knows how tired you are. But whether you feel a million miles away or not doesn't have anything to do with whether you're forgiven. If you're forgiven, it's because your faith is in him and he's atoned for your sins completely. And it's a glorious thing. You can't, you can't shake it. On the night the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He had his disciples gathered around this table. And it was an amazing night. It was the Passover meal that they were celebrating together. And they had these loaves of bread and these cups that they would ceremonially take that would remind them of the time that the Lord delivered their people out of bondage and slavery and took them through this impassable sea where God, just by the power of his own word, just moved the waters apart and they walked across on dry land into this desert where God fed them out of his own hand and protected them and led them and guided them and revealed himself to them and the people had gathered together ever since to have this meal where they would have this bread and these cups and they would and they would remember God delivering them from the tyranny and the slavery and the oppression of Egypt. But when Jesus has his disciples gathered around this table, some of the disciples have a vague sense of what's going to happen. Some of them are in a strong state of denial. They 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 don't believe that Jesus should die that he needs to die, but he knows he knows why he's come. And there in that upper room with those elements in front of him, he just totally hijacks the, uh, the meaning of the bread and the cup. And what he says to his disciples is, this bread is me. It's not the unleavened bread of the wandering in the wilderness anymore. It's me. It's my sacrifice for you. It's my body. And this cup is my blood. In other words, what he's saying to them is that Slavery in Egypt and that wandering in the wilderness and that passing through the Red Sea is a grand analogy for an even greater spiritual reality. And that is that the tyranny and the bondage and the slavery of your own heart to sin brings you to the edge of a sea that is even more unfathomable to pass, leading you into this place where if if God doesn't sustain you, you will perish, but if he does sustain you, you will live, and you will live, and you will live. And he says, I'm the one. I'm the one who makes that possible. I'm the one who reconciles you. I'm the one who delivers you from that bondage to slavery. That's what it means to have your sins forgiven, to have Jesus as our atoning sacrifice. And so we come to this table now, 2,000 years later or so, right? And we do as Christians have done across the world down through the generations. And we come to these simple elements 
And we do it with the same words being read to us from Scripture. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And the Apostle Paul, writing to young Christians gathered in Corinth, he's writing in this letter explaining to them, hey, here's, here's, what, here's what you're doing when you come to this table. He says, whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Saying, when you come to this table, whether it was then or whether it's right now, you're saying something. You're making a statement by, by the act of getting up out of your seat and going to one of these two tables in this room. You're saying, this is all my hope and peace is Jesus' blood and righteousness. All my eggs are in this basket. I count on him for this. I'm lost without this. It is such a grace and a mercy to us today. Why? Because when he calls us to this table, he's saying, remember that your sins have been forgiven. Don't forget that your sins have been forgiven. Understand that when you come to this table, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. What do you proclaim? You proclaim this. You proclaim that you have peace with God. You proclaim that you have a new identity, that all things are working together for your good, that you have a place to go with your anxiety and care, and that you have never been more loved than you are right now. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for this table that we come to today this table that we come to once a month at this church, uh, that we um, gather around to commune with you and with each other. Father, thank you for the promises of the gospel. Thank you for the reality that, that if our faith is in your son, our sins have been forgiven, and that that's real, and that that's unshakable. Uh, Lord, help us to deal honestly with where we're tired, Help us to be honest about the places where we're discouraged, uh, where we're needing encouragement. And Lord, would you, would you feed us today, not just with these elements, um, but would you feed us with the truth of your word? Would you feed us with your presence here today, Lord? Would you, would you nurture and encourage our hearts? Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.